0: Welcome to The Signal Podcast. I'm Stefan sinclair Forte,
1: And I'm Leslie Amundsen. We're students at the University of King's College School of Journalism.
0: Today we're sharing highlights of our work from the last eight weeks of audio boot camp.
1: That's right. Today we're going to hear stories about the dangers of vaping and the tradition of storytelling.
0: We also have a story about the world's quietest protest.
1: And we'll hear about some architecture students who are taking their learning into their own hands. That's all ahead.
0: But first, Two Canadians are confirmed to have lung illnesses related to vaping, and three others suspected vaping-related damage. In the U.S., uh, almost 1,500 cases have now been reported, including 33 deaths. But Canadians who vape dismiss the concerns. They say that, without more definitive research, officials may just be blowing smoke. Dane Patterson reports.
2: Health
3: Canada is warning Canadians to stay away from vaping. Whether it's the chemicals, the nicotine, or the flavouring in vape products, something has made a small number of people very sick. Tristan Harmer is a vapor and a vape store manager. He smoked for about five years before turning to nicotine vapes. Now, he says, he has a lightness in his chest he didn't have before. I guess it's a potential risk I take, but... Uh... For me it's it's done me better than like smoking has so far in my experience. Harmer says he plans to quit vaping too. He knows vaping can't be good for your lungs, but he's doubtful it's a serious health concern. Dr. Robert Strang is the Chief Medical Health Officer for Nova Scotia. Strang says vaping is not safe, but needs more conclusive research to determine how unsafe it really is.
4: That both the short and long-term health risks of vaping are not clear at all. It's probably safer than smoking, but we, we don't know that for sure.
3: While vaping appears to be behind recent cases of lung damage, officials can't point out why. There's been no consistent type of vaping product, no consistent
4: chemical that would explain everything. So there's a lot, and it's probably ultimately, ultimately we're going to come down to some multiple causes here.
3: A recent study shows about 45,000 deaths in 2012 were smoking-related. String says vaping may help smokers quit, but suggests there are better ways to drop the habit than introducing your lungs to an aerosol. For The Signal, I'm Dane Patterson.
1: When you think about protests, images of marches and noisy chanting usually come to mind. But this week, members of Extinction Rebellion held a very different, very quiet protest. They held a meditation vigil on Election Day to help the public contemplate the crisis that is gripping the globe. Ben Elliott has that story.
5: Downtown Halifax can be a busy place at midday. The air is filled with the sounds of car engines, buses, and people. At the Grand Parade on Barrington Street, members of Extinction Rebellion tried to cut through some of the noise, holding what they called a meditation vigil. Tinette DeVoe helped Extinction Rebellion organize this event. She says the point behind this type of protest is to encourage newcomers to protest at their own comfort level.
1: Well, first of all, I think it
4: In some cases, it may bring out different people. So some people who might not be comfortable going to a rally or doing an action like blocking the bridge may be comfortable coming to Grand Parade and sitting in meditation and prayer.
5: As people slowly filtered through the Grand Parade, some bystanders got closer to take pictures, some walked up to ask questions. They didn't all join in but most expressed solidarity with the cause. Peter Miller and Marilyn Graber are visiting Halifax from Goshen, Indiana. They said they have a slightly different view on how to affect change. But but the issue is, it can't stop there. We have to give money to candidates to be elected to make the changes. People's view on how to best solve the climate problem may differ, but if opinion polls are correct, most agree that action is needed sooner rather than later. For The Signal, I'm Ben Elliott.
0: Architecture and engineering students at Dalhousie Dalhousie University are taking their education and their future into their own hands. They're working outside their curriculum to prepare for the reality of climate change. Tobias Stock has more.
2: Earlier this year, a group of architecture students decided there was a gap between what they were learning in school and what they needed to learn to deal with climate change. So they created the Supernatural Design Collective, they host lectures and workshops and even hope to publish their own work. Laura Nolte is one of the students behind the group. She says architects and designers need to be responsible for the environmental impact of a product or building. She says the collective is learning things that they simply aren't learning in the current curriculum.
4: We're learning skills that I feel like are essential skills for architects to have. And also, like for me personally, it allows me to delve deeper into the interests that I have in architecture that aren't really visible in our education.
2: The collective has grabbed the attention of more than just a handful of people too.
4: Well we have a core group which is about like 10 to 15 people but the greater group is over a hundred.
2: Kim Thompson is a leader in green architecture in Nova Scotia and works with architecture students. She says environmental consciousness is critical for future architects.
3: I think we're, we're on the
1: cusp of something profound. There's a huge need and I think we're just Realizing that and um, the paradigm that we have right now for um, sharing those skills has got to be shifted radically.
2: With the curriculum changing too slowly, the collective hopes it can provide its members with the skills and knowledge to be prepared, especially as climate change becomes more urgent. For The Signal, I'm Tobias Stock.
0: Layla Gibson used to be a meat eater. Now the University of King's College student is trying to live life as a vegan. But she says it's hard because she lives in residence and eats all her meals in the dining hall and she says there isn't enough variety shaitan Mortuan has more
6: Layla gibson has been vegan since 2013. she stopped eating meat after watching slaughterhouse videos the california born vegan says it's easy being vegan at home But not so much in Halifax. It's really difficult to find a lot of vegan options. It's a very, I guess you could say, like fisherman-centered city, seafood-centered city, and meat-centered city as well. Gibson says Chartwells, the company that took over food services at King's a year ago, has made more vegan options available but sometimes she has to ask for them. I sometimes feel like a burden and they say, no, no, Layla, you're fine. But I hate walking up and saying, hey, can I have dessert today? At King's College, there are about 15 vegans that have the meal plan. Jamie England is the executive chef at the food hall. He says there's limited space on their lines to fit in both vegetarian and vegan diets.
0: We try to accommodate as best we can. Not always the case, but we do the best we can with what we have.
6: England says they prepare food based on a pre-made menu from their head office, but that they have come a long way.
0: I think maybe 10, 15 years ago was a little more harder, uh, but with all the knowledge of food and gluten-free and uh, dietary needs, it's become more easier to accommodate.
6: Gibson hopes that by pushing for better options at King's, she can make veganism more of a normalized choice than a fringe request. For The Signal, I'm
1: Shaitan Marituan. It's no secret that the cost of living in Halifax is expensive. One local arts collective is helping by providing free and low-cost resources to the public. Now they're relying on the generosity of the public to keep their space alive. I stopped by for a tour earlier this week. We enter into the zine library area of the space, where we have a photocopy. The under. collective includes yeah, that zine sale, library, zine a music zine venue, zine, screen zine printing zine, studio, uh, and more. Um, it's housed in an unassuming old building on Goddagen sure. Street. Shay Osborne is part of the collective, the known as Radstorm, and, and they're worried. Um, the owners are selling the building, and, yeah, and they know, may and all, all soon have to move. And it wouldn't be the first time. Recently, within the last... Here year and a bit, we've had to relocate to Goddagen Street because we got evicted from our building on Almond Street. Yeah, we're trying to buy this building and stay here as long as we can because it's a lot of work to move. Radstorm is scrambling to raise enough money for the down payment. The space also includes a small cooking area to offer a take-what-you-need service in the community. On Monday nights, they cook up a meal for anyone who wants to come. It's a chance to discuss social and political issues over hot food. Andy Donovan comes to the meal every week.
3: It is a community space on a gentrified street, and anyone that wants to come in and have a warm meal is more than welcome to.
6: We have the Rad Store where we sell all of our merch.
1: The sale Um, of zines, t-shirts, and totes are one of the collective's only sources of income. But Osborne says the focus is on accessibility, not profits. yeah, so this space doesn't necessarily pressure anybody to buy anything. It's a community space, and we want to keep it that way. So far, the Radstorm Collective has raised $8,000 of the $50,000 they need for a down payment on the building.
0: Great story, Leslie. You know what kind of art doesn't require four walls to contain it? Storytelling. And this month, you can hear great storytelling at the Dartmouth Waterfront, at the Blue Nose Ghost Festival, Ooh.
1: Sounds spooky.
0: But it's not just about spooky subjects and ghosts and goblins. It's the stuff of great stories. Amy Briley explains.
4: It's a dark and crisp evening at Alderney Landing in Dartmouth. About a dozen people are gathering around a fire to tell their scariest tales. And
2: the rumor is, is that the devil used to walk that trail.
4: This is part of the annual Blue Nose Ghost Festival. Each year, it celebrates a rich history of storytelling in Nova Scotia. Jay Perry is one of three hosts for the event. They belong to the Storyteller Circle of Halifax and the Helen Creighton Folklore Society. Perry uses music to tell compelling stories. Margot Carruthers is his singing partner.
5: Why are stories important? And there is no answer. The story It's like, why is air important? Because we need it to breathe.
4: Also leading the circle this night is Pat Dixon, an award-winning storyteller. She says stories should be told from memory. This means they're never told the exact same way twice. She says it's a rich way to bring family history to life.
6: You can put things down on paper, but if you tell the stories, then it means so much
4: more. The professional storytellers inspire people oh, in the crowd me. to tell their own tales.
3: And I did see a figure in my room the other night. Wow, a man, a figure of a man. The
4: stories tonight are spooky, but this is an art form that extends far beyond Halloween. The Storyteller Circle of Halifax gathers every month, almost year round.
2: For The Signal,
4: I'm Amy Briarley.
1: That's The Signal podcast.
0: And it's also the end of our our audio boot camp. How are you celebrating?
1: I can't think about celebrating until I get a good nap in.
0: (laughs) I know what you mean.
1: (laughs) Thanks for listening. I'm Leslie Evanson,
0: And I'm Stefan Sinclair-Forte. Have a great day.